Last week we began a new series we're calling Preheating Christmas. When you are preparing a Thanksgiving feast at your house, you have to remember to preheat the oven so that everything goes according to plan. And we want to spend November preheating our hearts, preparing ourselves for what God may have for us this Christmas season. Last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1, and we discovered how Abraham leads to David, who leads to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and David, such that we can know that God is in control, God knows where he is going, and we can trust him. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to consider how Jesus' identity as the eternal king impacts the way we understand his ministry and his mission. A Gallup poll from last year discovered that worldwide unhappiness is higher than they've ever measured. So the poll defines unhappiness as anger, stress, sadness, physical pain, and worry. And from this poll, we can see that worldwide unhappiness has been on the rise for 15 years. In 15 years, we, we have more gadgets, more knowledge, more connectivity, more convenience than ever before, and yet somehow, some way, we collectively as a people are more unhappy. How can this be? Why are we so unhappy? What's the diagnosis here? Well, my kids are older now, but when they were little, we did a good job of baby-proofing our house. So you put the thing on the door handle so they can't open it, and I can't open it either, so I just have to take off the thing, open the door, and put it back on. Uh, you, you, uh, you put a baby gate at the top of the stairs or in the hallway so your child can't escape. You cover up electrical outlets so they don't get shocked. And then you take things that you don't want them to have and you put them on a high shelf where they can't reach it. So things that might hurt them or things that you don't want them in their possession, you put up on a high shelf just outside of their reach. Have you ever felt like things are just out of reach for you? Like, like there are things that you are just sure that you need and if you had those things, then the quality of your life would be better or your life would have better meaning or more meaning. Or maybe it would just make things easier. Like if I could have this thing or those things, then I would be satisfied in my life. Like if I could just have more money or a better job, a better relationship, a nicer house, a better car, more respect, better looks, more justice. If I could just have these things, then I would finally know that I'm where I need to be. But those things just seem out of reach. Do you feel that way at all, ever? What you're, what you're after, like true joy, satisfaction, peace, love, justice, contentment, rest. Those are good things. 
but they're just out of reach. Maybe you would say, well, life circumstances has put those things outside of my reach. I can't have those things because of what's happened in my life. But for those of us who believe that God is in control, you might even, you maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but you'd think it in your head. You'd say, God's put those things out of my reach. He, he doesn't want me to have those things. Do you, do you ever feel that way? Let me, let me go from a different angle. A few months ago, my wife and I traveled overseas to Israel. We had the best time. We were, we were there with friends. We really enjoyed our time. But there was a sense in which we felt like something was missing. Like, Israel was great, but it wasn't home. You know, each day we waited for our late night phone calls from our kids who were just waking up for school, getting ready for their school day, they would call us. We were trying to keep our eyes open. And they would call us and fill us in on what happened the day before. We missed our son's first football game of the season. We missed our daughter's first soccer practice, soccer game. We, we missed those things. We had a great time where we were, but, but something was missing. We were enjoying ourselves over there, but everything that we cared about was over here. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like the experiences that you have in life are good, but it just feels like something is missing? Or the things that you really need in life to feel complete and whole, those things are just out of your reach. They're up on a high shelf. What is the diagnosis for this kind of unhappiness? You're homesick. C.S. Lewis has written in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find myself, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, here, here's the diagnosis for unhappiness in our world, maybe in your own life. The reason that we walk through life wanting more the reason why we walk through life feeling like the things we really need are just out of reach, the reason why we feel like something is missing in this world is because we are made for another one, and we are homesick. We live in exile. One of the major themes of the biblical storyline is exile. Exile is when uh, somebody lives in a place that's not their home. It can be a physical exile, but it can also be a spiritual one where you're living in, in what would be your home, but you don't share the values or the worldview of the people around you, so you, you feel like you're not at home. The theme of exile shows up throughout the whole story of the Bible. It, it shows up at the very beginning in Genesis, and, and it's everywhere in between. It shows up in 
in the genealogy in Matthew, we talked about the deportation to Babylon, that reference to an exile there. And it even shows up in the concluding pages of the Bible, this theme of exile. What we're going to see today is that Jesus, son of David, is the king who brings us home from exile. So you should have turned to Matthew 4, and that's where you're going to be, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you just a little jump start, uh, a reminder of what's in that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Now, I'll spare you. Last week, I read every single name. Won't do it this week. Uh, I'll call on somebody to do it. I'm just kidding. Uh, you can summarize the genealogy by reading the first verse of it and the last verse of it. So Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And then it finishes, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. That deportation to Babylon is a reference to when the people were removed from Jerusalem and taken off to Babylon by the Babylonians, the exile, okay? So in this genealogy, we have a couple of things. We have a way to tell the Old Testament story in a really fast way. If you were to read every name, you could see names that you recognize and remember the stories, and you're getting the story of the Old Testament. But also what you're getting in this genealogy is that Jesus is the son of Abraham, and he is the son of David. And and the way this genealogy lines out is it's really highlighting that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the one we've been waiting on. The opening pages of the New Testament tell us that Jesus is king. And when we understand that Jesus is king, that's going to color the way that we read Matthew's gospel. He's trying to show us how Jesus is king. Jesus is the one that, that was promised. He is the one who is to come. Now, A lot happens between Matthew 1 and Matthew 4. You get Christmas stories, which we're not going to touch, because it's November, not Christmas time. You meet John the Baptist. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And then you get to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It's not until Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 that Jesus begins his ministry. And I want you to look at how Matthew describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry in verses 12 through 17. Matthew wrote this. Now when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. Here's what happens in these verses. Jesus leaves his hometown, Nazareth, and he uh, begins to live in a place called Capernaum. He begins his ministry in Capernaum, Matthew tells us. Matthew also tells us that this fulfills Isaiah 9. We'll, We'll look at that in more detail in a second. And Jesus begins to preach this message. The beginning of his ministry, he preaches this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus proclaims to anyone who would listen, you're living your life, you're moving one direction, I'm telling you that you need to stop, turn around, and go the other direction. Why? Because the kingdom is here. The kingdom is has come. Jesus is the eternal king, and he proclaims that the everlasting kingdom has arrived. Jesus is announcing at the beginning of his ministry that it's time to choose sides. Which direction will you go? What has Jesus come to do? Why did he come and proclaim this message? I want to show you This morning, that Jesus' arrival on the scene in Capernaum isn't out of nowhere, but rather a response, a direct response to the spiritual exile of the people of God. So I I told you Matthew is quoting from Isaiah 9. He says that that Jesus moved to Capernaum, and that fulfills Isaiah 9. I want to look at Isaiah 9. You can turn in your Bible there if you want. It will also be on the screen. Isaiah 9, I want to read you verses 1 through 7. Here's what Isaiah wrote. He said, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and Battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Verses 6 and 7 are classic Christmas texts. Classic. This is in Isaiah 9. What's taking place in the book of Isaiah, what Isaiah's talking about is that exile is imminent for the people of God. They had been warned. 
If you disobey God and will not turn from your sin, God says, I will send a foreign nation who will defeat your armies, besiege your cities, and carry away your people into exile. You know, they were warned from the very beginning before they entered the promised land, Deuteronomy 28. They are told this. If you do not obey the Lord when you get into the land, you will be exiled. That is the promise. And then over and over and over again through their history, the prophets warn them, but the people will not listen. So Isaiah says a foreign nation is going to come, and then he uses this image, they're going to chop you down like a tree. But the people are not without hope. There will be one who comes to save, and Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 kind of deal with this one who is to come. He will be born of a virgin. We'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we get to Isaiah 9, where he says, yes, there was gloom, and there was contempt, and there was darkness, but there's coming a day when the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. The people who are experiencing the darkness of exile will see a great light. They'll be brought home. They've, they've found some hope. Where does this hope come from? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and he's going to sit on David's throne and reign over David's kingdom. So here's Isaiah's message to the people of, of Israel, people of Judah. You are going into exile because of your sin, but the son of David is the everlasting king. He'll save you by making you a part of his everlasting kingdom. Well, that's what Isaiah prophesied, but that's also what happened. The people were conquered. They were brought into exile. We can read how the Old Testament ends. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, listen to the description for how uh, the story ends in the Old Testament. Listen, it says, The Lord... The God of their fathers sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon 
those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants of him and to his sons. This is a sad ending of the Old Testament. These are the people of God who are overcome by a foreign nation. And there they are in exile. But the promise was that they would return, and return they do. Listen to this. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22. What, what happens is due to the shifting political landscape in the ancient Near East, there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Cyrus. He's king of Persia. And listen to what happens. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. This is Cyrus, king of Persia, his proclamation over the people of God. He says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Here's what Cyrus, king of Persia, says to the people of God. If you want to go home, go home. I'm not going to stop you. I want you to know that in the Hebrew Bible, this, this is how the story ends. The Hebrew Bible uh, is arranged differently than our English Old Testament. It's the same books, it's just organized in a different order, such that 2 Chronicles ends the Hebrew Bible. For us, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. For them, this is how their story ends right here. Anybody who wants to go home, let him go up. Let him go home. The story of the Old Testament ends with a kind of expectation and anticipation. You're, you're like waiting for the people to go home. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to finish 2 Chronicles. You're going to turn the page, and it's going to say the New Testament. And then you're going to turn the page one more time, and it's going to say Matthew's gospel. And it's going to begin with a genealogy from Abraham to David to Jesus with a reference to the deportation to Babylon, the exile. Do you know what's missing from Matthew's genealogy? If you want to tell the story of the Old Testament, you've got Abraham in there, you've got David, and all these names in between, the exile, what's missing? The return. Matthew never indicates that they returned from exile. Now, they did, physically. They did. They, a group came back and they rebuilt the city walls, and they came back and they started to rebuild the temple. So physically, a group of them did come back. What Matthew is, is showing us is that spiritually they never did. They weren't, they weren't completely on the same page as a people. They were still separated from God. In fact, what we're waiting on is a more spiritual, a more glorious return 
from exile. And so we open our Bibles to Matthew and we read about the life of Jesus, that he is the son of Abraham. He is the son of David. He is the king that we've been waiting for. And he moves to Capernaum and he preaches this message, repent because the kingdom has come. The exile is over. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is bringing the people from exile back home. Jesus, son of David, is the one that they had been waiting for. He's the child who was born. He's the son that was given. The government was on his shoulders. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of David and rules and reigns over David's kingdom forever. So at the end of the Old Testament, Cyrus makes this announcement. Anyone who wants to go home should go home. And Jesus brings the people back and he welcomes them home. Jesus welcomes us home. Why are we so unhappy? Why, why, why do we have more things than we could ever want? Why are we so unhappy? Why do things seem like they're out of reach? Why does it feel like I'm just not settled here? What's the diagnosis? We're homesick. We're in exile. Like, like the people of God living in Babylon, we are homesick in exile, as the author of Hebrews puts it, we are looking toward a better country. And today, Jesus invites us, come home. The kingdom is here. He has come to lead us home from exile. One day, we will be home. The book of Revelation tells us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and we will dwell together with God there forever. That day is coming, but now, in these moments now, this world is not our home. It is passing away. And things feel out of reach because we're homesick. And we feel incomplete because we're homesick. We're looking for another city. We're looking for another country. And Jesus invites us home. The, the question is, will you accept his invitation? How will we accept Jesus' invitation? No, we, we must respond to the message that he preaches in Matthew 4. It's a command and it's an invitation for those near and far. In Matthew 4, Jesus gives us a command. He says, repent. Repent. To repent means to change your direction. It means about face. But instead of repenting from our sin, what we try to do is like mitigate the damage. Isn't that what we do? So we do things like we run from God. We don't want to be at church. We don't want to read our Bibles. We don't want to pray. 
because we don't want to hear what God has to say. Oh, we know, we know we're guilty, we, but we don't want any part of feeling guilty, so we run from God. Or we hide, just like Adam and Eve when they were caught. Because of their shame, they hid from the presence of God. And we, we hide from God. We hide from one another, don't we? So we might actually be walking in wickedness and still come to church. And somebody says, man, how are you? And inside you're saying, I'm walking in wickedness and I don't know how to get out of it. But on the outside you say, oh, I'm doing great. And you say things like, brother. Like try to sound real churchy. But you're hiding. We try to mitigate the damage of our sin, or, or we simply reject God's rule in our lives. We know what God's word says. It's clear as day, but we don't want to abide by it. We don't care. We have our reasons, and we won't let God tell us any different. And so we reject his rule. But if you want to accept Jesus' invitation to, to remove yourself from this world that is passing away and transfer into his kingdom, we can't mitigate our sin. We have to repent of it. We have to repent. Stop running. Stop hiding. Stop rejecting the rule of the king in your life. Repent. Confess your sin to God, and as James says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Repent. You know, repentance isn't just confession. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. You, you not only need to confess, you also need to return. You need to turn to the Lord. It's a stopping of going one direction and then going a different direction. Turn to Jesus. Some of us in this room have been running away from Jesus. Today is the day that you need to stop in your tracks, turn around, and run toward him. Today. What does that mean? That means decide that you are going to submit to King Jesus' rule in your life. That you, whatever God's will is for your life, you'll keep it. Well, how do I know what God's will is? Well, there's, there's some mystery in what God's will is for your life, but there's a whole lot that's not mystery at all. It's written in black and white, and depending on your Bible, some of it's written in red. You can keep those things. You can submit your life to whatever Jesus says. The posture of your heart must be, this is the heart of repentance. The posture of your heart must be, if God said it, then I'll obey. If the posture of your heart must be, God's way is always the best way, even if God's way seems to be the harder way. And I will order my life according to his standards. I will accept his rule in my life. Repent and turn to the Lord. That is the command of Jesus. At the start of his ministry, the first thing he says is repent. Why? Because there's an invitation. The invitation is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, Matthew is showing us in the first several chapters, Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the everlasting king. Jesus reigns over an everlasting kingdom. 
And he commands us to repent, but then he invites us in to be a part of his kingdom. This morning, some of you are far from God. Some, some of you are near to God. You would say, man, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm not perfect. But man, I, I love God's word. I love to come to church and be around other believers, hear God's words preached, sing, sing praises. When I'm confronted with sin in my life, man, I try to confess and try to repent from it. I, I would consider myself near to God. But, but some of you, in your heart of hearts, you would describe yourself as far from God. Like the opposite is true. I don't want anything to do with God's word. I, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to obey him. I'm running as hard as I can the other direction. I'm far from God. The command for all of us, near and far, repent. The invitation to all of us, near and far, is come home to the kingdom. Jesus told a story one time about what this is like, and I want to read you this story. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, this younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He's unhappy. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. That is repentance, headed one direction, stopping and going another Hear this. But while he was still a long way off, are you far from God? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found 
and they began to celebrate. Are you far from God this morning? Are you far from God? This is the invitation of Jesus. He stands in the place of the Father in this story. He says, come home. Won't you come home? You might be in a far country, but while you're still a long way off, he sees. Won't you come home? Repent. The kingdom is near. There might be somebody in the room who says, I want to. I want to come home. You know what Cyrus said at the end of the Old Testament? Anybody who wants to go home, go home. What are you waiting on? Go home. Repent. Accept his invitation. Anybody who wants to come home, won't you come home today?